G'day race fans, welcome to the Gates Rev Limited Supercars Review. There were some pretty ordinary conditions out there, very easy to crash today. You don't need jam throttles on wet tracks. We won! Yes! He didn't do a good job, I'm like, mate, you've won by 20 seconds, what's the problem? <laughs> Well, hello everybody. I'm Neville Wilkinson. Thank you for joining me on the Gates Rev Limiter Supercar Review. As always, I'm joined by, well, a man that knows everything, Andrew Clark. How you going, Clarky? I'm pleased you think I know everything. My ex-wife doesn't think I do, but anyway, we'll, oh, we'll move on from that. But yes, no, I've had a cracking weekend at Sandown. And the reason I love Sandown so much, Neb, it's five minutes from my front door. I don't have to battle any airports or anything. I can just drive up, drive home, and that's it. Look, I've always loved Sandown. What was the crowd like there? Oh, the crowd was quite big, actually. I was a bit surprised, especially given that we had nearly 100,000 at the MCG today. I thought, you know, things like that might affect the sporting crowd. But uh, no, the crowd was big. It was huge. And uh, it was funny to look at them standing up against the fence um, in piles of mud, you know. So <laughs> look, looking at the trendy young kid with his shoes on with no socks and all I can see is mud around his ankles. I'm thinking, you should have worn boots, kid. Oh, no. So, um, yeah, but, you know, it's been one of those things. I mean, we had a lot of rain during the week, which meant it was pretty soft off the track, you know, so you didn't want to go on the on the, on the the green stuff, as uh, Will Davison called it. He said the strategy for this is stay on the black, not the green. Okay, well, we'll go into a bit more detail just after I hit this button. Race Recap. Sandown in August can give us anything weather-wise. It was pissing with rain early on Saturday, but then it dried up, and all we saw from there was a slight sprinkle for the rest of the weekend and a cracking set of races. Shane Van Gisbergen was expected to dominate. A Red Bull Racing ZB Commodore had never been beaten at the famous Melbourne track, but Will Davison wasn't interested in that, and on Saturday he gave Van Gisbergen and Red Bull a lesson like it hadn't been given in some time. There had been talk for a couple of months that DJR was looking to replace the near 40-year-old for 2023, but early in the week his position was confirmed and he went out to prove why. He topped the times on Friday, set a new qualifying record on Saturday, his third for the year incidentally, and then claimed pole in the shootout before pacing himself to win the race. It was dominance. It was actually pretty easy and he was never ever threatened by Van Gisbergen, who claimed second from Di Pasquale who made it a double podium for DJR. So, while the race for the lead appeared pretty tame and controlled, up and down the rest of the order, it was on like you haven't seen. Will Brown's defensive work late in the race earned the ire of Cam Waters, who accused the Commodore driver of running him off the road. Ah, Brock Feeney was probably a little grumpier than that after his early shunt with Andre Heimgartner that caused both of them severe race pain. Heimgartner copped a 15-second penalty and a few extra seconds in the pits while his crew tried to straighten his bonnet a little. At other points in the race, we had three wide battles down the main straight and we saw Sandown at its best. But only you could see it if you were there. All over the place, cars were exiting the black for the very soft and wet grass, which in places was just mud by the end of the weekend. Sunday looked like being another Davo domination after the first hot laps in qualifying, but his battery had other ideas in that qualifying session with a loose connection filling the cockpit with smoke. It cost him a clean sweep of poles because once fixed, he headed out in qualifying for race 26 to break the lap record again for a second pole of the weekend. Afterwards, he needed oxygen to clear out his lungs after all the smoke had filled into them. But we looked forward to that race 25, with Davison starting from 12th on the grid hunting down Van Gisbergen, who started on the pole. 
He made a couple of spots early, pitted a lap or two later than he should have given he was being held up, and then copped a whack from pit lane infringement. One of the rattle guns was still attached when the car was dropped and the drive through crueled his race and cost a lot of championship points. He finished well out of the running and Ben Gisbergen toyed with the field in very much the same way as a cat plays with a mouse. The race itself turned into a bit of a fizzer, aside from some juicy battles down the order. Chaz Mostert was a lonely second, and Will Brown jumped four spots from qualifying to claim third after passing Dave Reynolds late in the race. Press reset on race 25, and let's start race 26. On the green, Van Gisbergen got one of his best starts for the year, and that meant he could push Davison, who won the start from the pole. The track was filthy after the rallycross otherwise known as Super 2 and Super 3, and the Giz used that fact as Davison headed into the unknown. He pressed him hard and had a crack at Daniel on road and took the lead, and he later said he thought whoever was leading at the end of lap two would win the race, which is why he fought so hard to make it in. Davo tried the crisscross, but it didn't work, and when the gears balked slightly coming onto the straight, Davison paused and deep Pasquale mounted him. Davison had a smoky rear end for a bit, as you do when you've been mounted in that manner, and Deep Pasquale had broken the front of his car and lost four laps in the pits. We all expected Davison to try the undercut, given he was following and looked faster, but Van Gisbergen pitted first, and that was probably it for the race win, with an overcut not looking a likely strategy. They could have tried something radical, like three or four tyres and he stopped, had Mustard not run a massive undercut early and got in the way. The trigger was pulled for Davison when lap traffic in the form of Macaulay Jones started to slow him down. He really needed another lap or two to wait until Van Gisbergen's lap times dropped to less than his, but that just wasn't happening. He returned to the track 1.9 seconds away from Van Gisbergen with Mostert hard on his tail. The race was on though and he whittled the lead down to less than one second with five laps remaining. There was six laps difference between the tyres on the two cars, but it just wasn't enough and he couldn't get close enough and he had to settle for second while the Giz won again. Mostert was one of the earliest stoppers in the race, and as people with fresh arrival came in him, he had to be very defensive. Waters was the first to have a crack, and he lost when he locked the Dandenong Road and slipped off the track and down to 10. Next was Feeney, and after a couple laps looking, he used superior traction onto the long main straight to blast his way to his second podium ever. Mostert did hang on for fourth, but Winterbottom was right on his tail. Who knows what would have happened with another lap. But the story of the weekend was Van Gisbergen extending his lead to 500 points and nearly two rounds clear of waters. The title race is now looking as good as done, barring a complete disaster for reigning champ. So that was it for hopefully the last ever sprint races at Sandown. Bring back the 500. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Grove Racing. Every time we hit the track, we rely on Gates premium parts to help us perform under extreme conditions. Serpentine, cooling and timing systems are crucial to your engine performance. Inspecting and replacing all system components at the same time will ensure your vehicle is ready to tackle any challenge. Protect your ride with Gates. Available from Repco, Napa Auto Parts, Super Cheap and reputable auto stores. We're back, Clarky. First of all, I want to cover off. Been some racing, but there was a bit of lead up to this event. Uh, there's a bit of talk. Um, first of all, DJR. Let's cover off stuff going on with DJR. A lot going on with DJR. Uh, new team owner, majority shareholder, and at the same time, they re-signed Will Davison, which I think is a smart move. Yeah, well, I think both are very good, actually. Um, the um, 
the Ralph family, so Brett and Sean Ralph, have taken a majority stake in the team. So we don't know exactly what a majority means, but it's probably anywhere from 51 to 100%. <laughs> but uh, I believe that both Ryan Story and Dick Johnson still hold shares in the team. So uh, it is very much a majority stake. Uh, and they're good blokes. Um, I had a good chat with Sean Ralph during the week. Um, he's on the, He was on the line from Texas where he lives. And, uh, yeah, really good blokes. They, they've grounded. Uh, they don't think they're going to walk in and, and turn DJR into something else. What they want to do is use their sporting expertise and their business now to do something better in terms of the connections between sponsors of theirs uh, and sponsors of their other sporting entities, which are the Melbourne Aces Baseball Club, which is the holding entity, for DJR, for Melbourne Storm Rugby League Club, um, for some netball club that I've forgotten the name of, um, and for Melbourne United, the base basketball club down here in Melbourne. So lots of little sporting things all packaged up in one little bit. So sports nuts, uh, and I think it's great to have them on board. So you think with the new team owner, the greatest advantage was the ability to leverage sponsorship through all these other sporting franchises and basically help find sponsorship for the team? Yeah, that's clearly one of the things, but I think they see it as helping all of their other sports entities as well, not just DJR. So they're seeing this as very much a big package for them. And, uh, you know, as, as Sean said, like, you know, there's no really room for Jet Couriers, which is their company, to go onto the DJR Falcon. So it's not a sponsorship deal in that sense. So it's really about what they do with the, the personal connections that they make. And they have been entertaining clients at the racetracks for, you know, for the year, and they've been doing a few races here and there. Uh, and they were taken aback by, you know, the connection that people have with supercar racing, which they hadn't expected when they first started looking at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been involved with Anton Di Pasquale for a few years. He's been one of their ambassadors. He's been going after Melbourne Aces and Melbourne Storm Games. And they watch the way people talk to him and the way he engages with them. Uh, and it really just started to make them think. So, you know, terrific that they've taken a good look at it. They've obviously done the numbers because they're businessmen. They haven't just bought this thing because they love Dick Johnson. Um, they bought it because they think it's a really good business. And uh, I can't see any reason why this is not a positive. Well, I'm assuming Brett and Sean Ralph are pretty savvy businessmen. I think they've probably done the numbers on this and it obviously makes sense. Yeah, clearly it does. And, and as I've said, you know, they haven't done this to lose money. You know, I think there was a joke made at one stage to them in one podcast I was looking to with the, you know, the old one, the easiest way to make a small fortune out of motor racing is to start with a big one. And um, Brett Ralph's answer to that was, well, that's not what we intend to do. Uh, and I don't think they will. They seem like they're sharp blokes, but they seem like they're good blokes and they, they respect the history. They, they respect the involvement with Dick Johnson in Australian touring car racing. You know, it is the oldest team in pit lane yes. by quite a margin. And, um, you know, they're saying it's going to be there and Dick's going to be around it for as long as they can possibly have him around it. So uh, a great thing. Um, And then, of course, they capped it off with the driver announcement, which was even better. Do you think they could have announced him earlier or you just think this was just in the normal uh, progress of negotiations and sorting it out? Because I'm surprised they didn't hold off until Bathurst. I think they just wanted to get it out there into the public and let them know that they'd they'd done the deal. I mean, um, from what I understand, I had a good chat with Ben Croak, who's the team principal over the weekend. He said their their intention was always to re-sign Will Davison, um, that all the talk on Will Brown was just pit lane having a bit of a gossip. Um, so for them, it was just coming up with the numbers that matched and the this that matched, and and it did. And, and as you've said before, Davo's having a cracking season. You can't deny the fact that he's has earned the spot. He's earned that number 17 spot. And today and yesterday, yesterday in particular, 
um, he proved it. He proved why they've signed him. Well, let's get on to that. Um, he, pole position, um, it's a lap record for a supercar? Yep, he did two lap records over the weekend because he did it again on the Sunday. Um, and, and he did it twice in Darwin too, remember? So, he, he, like, his form is just unbelievable. Where the speeds come from after last year. I mean, last year was a settling into a new car, you know, new operational, those kind of things. Um, and this year he's just unlocked everything. And, um, you know, he's driving as well as he's ever driven. Okay, he probably could have got three pole positions if he hadn't have had what's this? I'm looking at the notes here, mate. You've written a battery drama. Yeah, the battery didn't like him. It looked like they had a loose lead on the battery, and um, and it sparked and um, effectively set fire to the wiring loom. So his car's just filling up with smoke as he's heading up the back straight, and um, you know, he ended up having to pit to have that fixed. So he'd done his first run in qualifying, and he was sitting second, but he didn't get his second run in qualifying, where everybody else got a second run, and he got knocked off in that second run process. Um, but amazingly, you know, they got the battery out. They they put in a temporary loom to make it all work, um, all within about 10 minutes to get him out for the second qualifying session of the day, which he did get pole position with a lap record. So, you know, he had the, he had the pace. He just... Yeah, he just had it all going for him this weekend. It was just beautiful. What's he got written here? It needs still needs some mongrel. Yeah, my one concern with Will Davison is that whether he's got the mongrel that someone like Shane Van Gisbergen's got, you know, is he going to, to going to theoretically thump people out of the way? Are they going to jump out of his way in fear the way they do with Van Gisbergen? Um, like I think Will is a brilliant driver. He's so smooth and fast. Um, and a brilliant tactician and all those things. But I just wonder whether, you know, whether he's going to stick his nose into holes where it shouldn't be and take those sort of risks. And, you know, maybe he doesn't need to. If the car's as good as it was yesterday and probably this weekend, you don't need to do that too much. You just need to get your strategy right and um, and not make any mistakes yourself and you'll win races. Look, he, he could have won the race, the final race on Sunday. You felt that maybe he wasn't helped by Macca Jones just before we go in the pits. Yeah, well, because what we thought was going to happen. Well, so, sorry, hang on. Let me clear it up. Just before Will came yes, in the pits. And just after Macca came out of the pits. He was following Macca, and we felt it might have been holding him up yeah. those few times. Yeah, now Macca came out of the pits, um, which put him straight in front of Will, who was leading the race at the time. And Will probably wanted to go another two or three laps longer so that Van Gisbergen's tyres were a little more shagged before he got out there. Um, but, you know, he got held up coming down the S's and through Dandenong Road and onto the straight, and he just made the call that he was going to lose at least half a second to a second in the next lap. So come in, did he stop? Um, but, you know, it meant that he didn't have the tyre advantage that he could have had. Um, but, you know, there was also another thing, which was Chaz Mostert, who'd done a really early stop, got in the way of things. And if Chaz Mostert hadn't been there, maybe he could have stopped and done three tyres and had a bigger advantage, you know. So it just didn't play out his way on on that second race. And, uh you know, as you heard in the intro, you know, it's all about what happened on that first lap with all the mud that was over the track and everything. And he, he was just, he was a sitting duck to Van Gisbergen effectively in that first lap. And, um, you know, was not able to make it up through strategy, which is what they tried to do. Well, talking about the Giz, you're saying he was being challenged this weekend because he didn't win on Sunday, uh, he didn't win on Saturday, um, but he responded. Yeah, Saturday, you know, <laughs> It's funny when you talk about Van Gisbergen struggling because he wasn't dominating, you know. So, I mean, it was the manner in which Davison beat him on Saturday that was what was so impressive. And, and we haven't seen Van Gisbergen and Red Bull racing like that all year effectively and perhaps even not for two years. Um, and they, they kind of looked out of sorts. They just didn't look like they normally do. But they went away on Saturday night 
and they they obviously did a fair amount of head scratching and they did a good lot of head scratching because they came out with a bloody fast car you know and he nailed that pole position yeah it was helped a little by davis and having his problem but you know he got the pole position um and then he got second on the grid in the next race uh and he had his best race start of the year so you know he responded all around as did the team and uh that's probably why they're at the at the top of the field. His race win in race one on Sunday or race two for the weekend was pretty dominant. He won by over seven seconds. Um, everybody tried to undercut him, but it just served for him to overcut them even more or however you want to do it. There's no overcutting. They just didn't catch him. Yeah. And and, and the third race was, you know, kind of, or the second race on Sunday was kind of looking the same, but Will Davison... I tell you what, I reckon a few more laps, he would have been all over Shane because he's just, you know, he knows how to get the maximum out of his car like Shane does, actually. Yeah, I think Will was the only bloke who could challenge him all weekend. And, yep. you know, by starting 12th on the grid in race 25, you know, it was always going to be a tough ask, wasn't it? You know, to, to make up that many spots was... I was surprised that Will even did what he did in the third race considering his teammate tried to drive, <laughs> well, tried to get a tow. From him. <laughs> yeah, but not the toe that you want. <laughs> no, he, Will was actually pretty lucky there because you saw after he Very. got hit by Anton, you know, the smoking tyre and everything, but uh, it cleared up pretty quickly, which was good because it meant that, you know, he was in there. And he, and he sat on Van Gisbergen's tail for ages. Um, I thought that Davison needed to undercut him, um, and they didn't. Um, Van Gisbergen pulled the trigger early, um, did the undercut effectively on Davison, and um, that forced Davison to run along. Um, and that got mucked up by Macca Jones, you know, and, and oh, well. yeah, no serious criticism of Macca. I mean, you're driving on a, on, on these sort of conditions. I mean, I thought he should have been a little bit more aware of things, but uh, from what I understand, blue flags weren't being waved. So how do you know? Um, just for the gears, back on the gears. Yep. Sunday, back to normal. And just for a bit of stats, stats territory for everybody. Uh, he's now won 16 out of the 26 races this year. Yeah. It's scary, That's a isn't it? Pretty good record. Well, out of those twenty-six races, too, Nev, he has only missed the podium four times. Oh golly, it gets gets worse for the other teams or better. He's racking up a staggering season. It, it could be the best season we've ever seen in the, in history if he keeps going like this. It's uh, it's phenomenal, and you know the worst part for the rest of the field is that he just doesn't seem to be struggling too much. You know, he doesn't he doesn't make mistakes really. Um, everything seems to fall his own way and bang, off he goes. So, you know, everybody else can just watch him. Talking about struggling, Cam Waters, he had a bit of a rough round. Yeah, he did. He still finished sixth overall and he still holds second in the title, but it just didn't look like the Cam Waters we've seen of late. You know, he, he had a bit of speed, but didn't seem to capitalise on it. You know, there, there was a couple of little things in qualifying which dropped him down a little bit. And, and each passing session, the car seemed to get slower. Um, you know, and it just just didn't look like the cam we were expecting. I, I thought he'd put up a really good fight this weekend, and uh, you know, then we would have had a three way fight. We would have had you know, Waters, Van Gisbergen, and Davison, and that would have been cracking. I did like the um, the battle between Waters and Mostert, and I mean, Waters had a crack, just nah, d- didn't come off, slide down the grass, lucky to keep it off the Arpco, and then had to go through the sand trap, and that was that. That Dunny's race. You can't yeah. come back on 10th or something. Yeah, 10th. It's kind of interesting, though, because I was sitting there watching and thinking, would Chas Mostert have been so polite towards Cam? Um, 
You know, and it's funny that, you know, during the week when Cam's come out and says, why is everybody so nice to Van Gisberg and they need to start racing with a bit of mongrel? And I'm watching him against Chaz and I'm thinking, well, maybe you should have put a bit of mongrel in there <laughs> and uh, stuck your nose up the inside and, and you know, pushed, Cam, uh, pushed your mate out wide. Some good performers, dude. Uh, I'm going to start this off. Will Brown, a fourth, a third, and an 11th. Pity he couldn't have got in the top 10, but it's... Uh... Not a bad weekend for the Boost team. No, it's not a bad weekend. He's their form's been up and down. You know they were they were okay here at Sandown last year, but it was so wet that you didn't get any real indication. But you know I think Will's kind of been struggling a little bit late. So to see him up there with a bit of verve again was good. You know getting onto the podium. It's only his second podium for the year. Uh, sorry, his first podium for the year. Correct on myself. You know so uh, it's a good weekend for him and uh, good to see him back in form as we head into. Uh, what's coming up for the important race, which is Bathurst, where the Erebus cars do go well. Scott Pye is another one. I just seem to notice him more in this stellar cast with his racing. He got a fifth around. thought he was did okay. Yeah, he did. And, well, you noticed him because he actually made all the races, which was great. You know, like Scott's had <laughs> such a shocking year with the uh, with the ones that crashes that have knocked him out of the races. So uh, good to see him in there, but really nice. And and probably you could throw Mark Winterbottom in there as well. Like, yeah, Frosty had a good weekend as well. So it was a, it was a good weekend for Team 18 overall. And, uh, you know, it's, as I say, it's good to see Scott make all the races, but nice to see them competitive and pushing and uh, you know, Frosty was pushing for fourth at the end of the um, final race for the weekend. So, uh, you know, maybe they've um, got on top of a few of their gremlins for the year. Who else performed well? Well, Brock Feeney got a podium, which is good. It's his um, second podium. And because this one was done in the last race of the day, he got to attend the press conference for the first time, which um, nice. he was a bit chuffed about. Um, but, you know, I think he raced well this weekend. Um, James Golding at times, I thought, looked really good. I mean, at one stage he was running inside the top 10 and uh, – you know, a couple of things didn't really go his way, but uh, he did also find how to shortcut turn three a couple of times, which was interesting and reason for some of the slush. So do you reckon he performed well for the Shuribus team? Yeah, absolutely. I think for Premier Racing, yeah, he, he was really good. Um, he's, we know that Golding's good. Um, and we know that Premier Racing is putting effort into making the cars a lot better. Yep. You know, they're investing in their technology, they're investing in their equipment and their engineers and so forth. Um, and James Golding looks like he's the bloke who can start to take them forwards a little bit. And uh, yeah, I thought he was good this weekend again. I got that feeling exactly like he did. I thought, hmm, I think he could do something with this team. Okay, rough rounds. We've had we've had a, a rough round for Cam Waters, but it wasn't just Cam Waters. Uh, Matstone Racing. Oh, I reckon there was one stage where both cars took each other out, or if that's a, the correct term. Yeah, they did it in a much better way than Anton did. You know, <laughs> <laughs> when when you got both your cars having contact with each other and coming into the pits at the same time, it's a bit hard to work on two cars at the same time, isn't it, Nev? So, so what happened? Uh, I think Jack went off, and um, you know, and uh, Todd just hit him. Um, but, so he's come back on the track and Todd's yeah. just gone, oh, crap, and hit yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. Yep, the, the, oh, crap. It was the contact between the two of them. Um, I think there was, you know, sort of front-end contact, side-on contact and all sorts of contact in the in the little incident. Um, but, you know, it was just a, was a rough again. They finished last in the in the round results um, and second last. So, uh, you know. Well, yeah. they, they sponsor, they've got the wrong sponsor. They've got truck assist. They actually need track assist. But anyway. <laughs> Ah, Anton, he didn't have the speed of will and just uh, things didn't quite go his way. I mean, that, that, that last race where he climbed up the over the wheel of uh, Will Davison, that was just, it was a crazy situation. 
The cars were all compressed. The gears had just got past Will, yeah. so it was it was all be going on, and it was just a bit of a mess coming out of that final turn. Yeah, but what I don't really blame Anton so much for that because you know nah. Shane did kind of um, like when he got on the power, you could see the car jump a little bit, and he had to lift off, which meant Will had to lift off, and then you know Anton's hit him because you're on the opening lap of the race, you're going to be looking for every every bit you can get. But like overall, he just didn't have the speed of Will all weekend. You know, I mean, we, we qualified down in race 25. I remember you asking me earlier what happened in qualifying. Was there a red flag? No, there was no red flag. He just wasn't fast enough. You know, so it was just one of those weekends for Anton, who we know is fast, but it just didn't seem to gel in the same way that it did for Will. I just think it was one of those weekends where, you know, it just all worked for Will and it didn't work for Anton. Anton dropped from second to fourth in the title race. Yeah, over the two weekends. From the last two rounds. Yeah, in the last two yeah, rounds. It just yeah. hasn't, hasn't been very good. Um, hopefully he can turn around in New Zealand and definitely hope he can turn around at uh, Bathurst. So, well, we know the DJR cars will be good at Bathurst. They just always are, you know. So we'll just wait and see. It, it sounds like, you know, they're, they're unlocking some sweet spots in the car overall. So, uh, you know, see where they end up. And last but not least, Lee Holdsworth. He yeah. seemed to have a struggle as he well. He did, didn't he? He had the number 500 on the car, but it just didn't kind of work for him, did it? Yeah. Didn't work. Talking about lots of races. Lounsey, Cove driver status. He was going to be able to test in. He's testing in someone else's car. Yeah, what no. Was, what's this all about again? Brad Jones Racing had uh, no co-driver yet signed up for Jack Smith for Bathurst, uh, and obviously Craig Lowndes is running the wild card, but the wild card wasn't allowed to run in the um, co-driver session, so they just dropped him in. You know, Brad and Lowndes are old mates. So he really had to go in Brad's cars. Yep. In the Jack Smith car. How'd he go? Um, well, he wasn't that fast. He was um, 20th in the session, which is, um, you know, not where you would expect Craig Lowndes to be. Um, and, um, you know, he was 0.8 seconds off the fastest guy on the track. Um, so he wasn't that far away from when you look at it in that sense. Uh, but I think it was his feedback that was more interesting. And he, he came back and he said, well, the car's nicely balanced and it's got all the right bits and pieces, but it just doesn't turn into corners. He says it's lazy when you're turning it in. And he said he followed Wincup through the turn one, two, three, four complex. And he said just every time you tried to turn it, you know, you could just see Wincup jumping away and, and getting all of that gap on them. So, um, and, and Brad said afterwards that that's what they've been working on with their cars anyway, to try and get more of that turn in. So they were, Pointier. Yeah, so they were happy with the feedback from Lowndes. More rotation. Yes, yes. Now you're, now you're starting to talk like an engineer. We need to rotate the car more. So, um, so Brad Jones said it was great. They got um, they got the same feedback from Lowndes that confirmed that they are heading in the right direction. So, but you know, just an interesting exercise. It's the first time since two thousand and six that Craig Lowndes has driven a um, supercar that is not a triple eight machine. Okay, Sandown. Well, and you know, you say Sandown former, but this is bigger. This three-race thing, I'm not a fan of it. Can we go back to, well, you're saying retro round here and 500, but for God's sake, you can do both of them. Uh, absolutely. You can do with the 500 and still make it retro. Yeah, no. Why don't they make it the 500? Please, everybody's asking him to do it. If Supercars, you really want to do it for the fans, make it a 500. Yeah, my notes should have said retro round and the 500, not uh, not left the blank in there, because I think you're absolutely spot on. This is what needs to happen, and uh, and it needs to happen for a number of reasons. Um, one is that at some point in time, we must respect history and we must respect the fact that we don't have Sandown for much longer. 
You know, it's um by twenty twenty seven, it's going to become a housing estate. Yeah. So let's get the five hundred back on now. Um, let's not fiddle around with it. Let's not even think about it, supercars. Just do it. Everybody wants it. I have not spoken to anybody that doesn't want it. Except the team owners who don't want to pay the extra money for the extra drivers. It's as simple as that. But the drivers were there. The um the, the, the reality is that, um I mean, supercars have been trying for 20 years to stop the Sandown 500. I mean, they took it to Queensland Raceway and it was a disaster. They took it to Phillip Island and it didn't work. Okay, my point is it was still a, uh, a co-driver round. And it's only recently to COVID where they stopped the co-driver rounds. They used to have three. Now they've got one, right? And they, they, they are not rushing to bring it back. I tell yeah. you now, they're trying to not spend so much money. I don't know. Something's going on. If they care about the fans of the sport, they will bring the 500 back. Shane Van Gisbergen in the press conference was very keen to point out that this track suits the 500 kilometre race. He said there is more overtaking, there is more strategy, there is more tyre wear, there is more of everything in the 500 race. Um, and that's what it needs to be. And the other variable is the weather. It brings weather into play and we love that. But yeah, they, they just need to do it. Like I don't care what their excuse is and I don't care who doesn't want it. They need to do it and they need to do it next year. Well. Come up with seventy to one hundred and twenty million dollars. You could just buy it and tell them. Strategy watch. We need a we need a teaser for that. Don't we? Stinger. What do you What do you got here? Like, okay, Anton's undercut in the first race gained in one spot. Yep. Courtney and Pi gained on Randall. Yep. Also with undercuts. Moster tried a massive undercut in the final. Ended up with only one spot gain after looking like a contender. And two laps look like to be the ideal undercut size. Yep. I didn't know you could order an undercut size. No, you can. You can, clearly. Explain to me what the hell you're on about. Right. So you know I love my undercuts and my overcuts. Um, yes. You know, and which one works best. Um, the overcut was clearly not going to work at this track, um, as we saw. So that was always off the cards. Yeah, I don't think the undercut worked that well either. I think that's, that was my whole point, is that, like, they, um, you know, you got Anton – doing an undercut in the first race because he hadn't qualified so well and all he got was a one-spot gain. You know, Mustard's one in the final race was probably the biggest attempt. At one stage, he had 14 laps and Cam was still couldn't get past him. So it tells you that, you know, he got his he got two or three spots up, I think, um, Mustard from his undercut um, and then he was left plucking. And he, um, really? I thought he came in rather early. Yeah, he did very early, but they've done that a lot this year, Walkinshaw and Andretti United. They've, um, you know, they'll come in either early or they'll come in late. Um, but, you know, it leaves him. And you'll watch Mostert. If you look at his lap charts this year, you'll often see in those last three or four laps, he drops quite a few spots when they've done their early stops. Uh, and it really did start to hurt him, you know. And if Waters hadn't locked up, you know, he would have got that spot. And, and clearly Feeney got Mostert as well. And Frosty was about to get him as well. So, you know, I think you've got to be very careful with the undercut and how big you try it. For me, at Sandown, you wanted a two-lap undercut. So um, that was the ideal gap. Not a one-lap, not a three-lap, a two-lap. A two-lap, okay. How do you factor in a two-lap? Well, you don't. You've just got to hope that it works your way. <laughs> that's the problem. You go for the undercut, you've just got to hope that they give you two laps. <laughs> so if you come into the pits and then the guy you're trying to undercut comes in one lap after you basically going, shit, he's just coming, I'm going to come in as well, it won't work. You need that guy to go, oh, maybe I, I'll stay out. Yep, yep. And we saw that when we saw cars coming out of the pit. So um, I think it was um, was uh, Mostert and Van Gisbergen at one stage. 
it just took so long to get the rear tires up and working that you know the guy was able to pull two seconds on him so that first lap was just trying to get the thing to grip and try to get some warmth back into the tires and so you didn't really get any pace advantage out of it so you needed that second lap to get the pace advantage to get your undercut and the unique thing with Sandown, two things it is kind of a more left hand turns the right hand turns yep so you tend to get one side gets a bit warmer than the other quicker and there's such a quick lap that your tyres do take a few laps. To yeah, and that's what we saw. We saw a lot of people doing their fastest qualifying laps on their second lap on greens rather than the first. So, yeah, it, it's definitely – and that's why the second lap was so important if you wanted the undercut to work. But as you said, Nev, you can't manage that. You've just got to hope. Okay, I want to spend a minute on one other subject. Qualifying red flags. Saturday – qualifying right someone went off which turn did they go off was it turn one three yeah. four what yeah, it was in the turn one. one right someone's gone off in turn one and that has ruined david reynolds lap like literally what was it like five ten meters from the start finish line to record his lap when a double yellow wave flags could have sufficed for that come on let people finish their lap who are definitely on it and pass the accident please yeah it's an interesting one isn't it because um you're sitting there it was one minute 25 seconds to go in the session i think well this, and, and I'll, I'll butt in here that adds more insult to the whole thing it's like oh we'll just cut it short oh but i might have been able to make it around and have a go but no i yeah, know but what about no, the you guys know, you know we won't not even let, let you try yeah, so your question, Nev, is what about the guys who were about to start their hot lap who couldn't do their hot lap? So, you know, they're disadvantaged then more than the the other guys. Yeah, so, I, know, but, yeah. I know, but to disadvantage everybody who's even passed that incident, eh, even Formula One doesn't do that. Well, Formula One should do that. They just don't do it properly. Um, <laughs> it, it's an interesting one. I can, I, I can see both arguments. Like my first thing when I saw it was, oh, they should have let those guys finish their laps, you know, especially when it's like, you know, five or 10 metres, you know, and you're sitting there and the red flag comes out. And it's like, oh, golly gosh. I'm sure he said something different to that. But, silly. Um, yeah, it is. But as I say, by the same token, you know, if, if race control deems that there's a dangerous thing out there in the session, should be stopped and it should be stopped straight away your question is always is will double yellows cover it um but then as i say you know somebody's going to be disadvantaged because you know if you hadn't started your hot lap or you just started your hot lap and the double yellows are out at turn one you know you're disadvantaged um so someone loses out um the real story is like in q1 when you've got three 10 minute sessions don't leave it to the last minute to set your fast lap like go out and do it early please you know or this is the sort of thing that'll bite you Red flags in qualifying are always a nightmare. You know, somebody somebody's going to miss out. Somebody's going to lose out badly. There's only it. one motor race where a red flag was perfect, and that was the end of last year's F1 race. That's the only time when a red flag needed to be thrown. Yeah, would have changed the whole whole thing, wouldn't it? Uh, well, everybody would have been on the same. It would have been legit. But anyway, uh, enough of something else. Okay, round summary. Two poles of Will Davison and a lap record speed for each of those poles. Yep. Okay, yep. lap record on Saturday and said, I'll oh, stop that. I'm going to try it and do it again, make it make it real. Um, but let's not forget one... that the pole to Van Gisbergen was also at lap record speed. But Oh, so, okay. Well, the, the Giz. It only lasted for 10 minutes, though. Well, the Giz wanted stuff. You're not going to have a go at this. And <laughs> did it. And Will goes, nah, nah, this is how you do it, mate. So interestingly, though, Nev, because given that we got Gen 3 coming on next year, yeah. that time might stand forever. 
Oh, fair enough. They're going to be slower, are they? Uh, probably, yeah. While well, they're cutting the arrow. Um, they'll be faster in a straight line, I think, but slower in the corners. So it'll be okay. interesting to see. We don't know yet what they'll, whether they'll be faster or slower, but um, I would suggest that on what I've seen, they should be slower. So, you know, that lap record is going to stand for a very long time. Uh, wins to Will Davison and two on Sunday to Shane Van Gisbergen. Fastest lap bonus points to Brock Feeney. Shane Van Gisbergen and Will Davison got the fastest lap in the final race. He yeah. was so interestingly then, Ev, um, you have to finish in the top 15 to get the bonus points. Brock Feeney was 14th. He only <laughs> just got the bonus points. Go Brock. Go yeah. Brock. Round results. Uh, the top three, Shane Van Gisbergen, 297 points he uh, accrued over the weekend. Will Davison was in second on 237 points. And Chaz Mostert, 224 championship points. Drivers' championship points. His, uh, SVG extends his lead to 500. He's 500 points. Yeah, I know. It's scary, isn't it? He's nearly two rounds in front. Like, we were, talking, we were worried about one round. He goes, oh, he did that kind of last year, so let's see if I can do it two rounds. Holy mackerel. He's two. Gary Nev, we're going to put a Coey. Uh, oh, well, this could be interesting. <laughs> Shane Van Gisbergen, 2,493 points. Next, 500 points behind. Cam Waters is 1,993 points. Uh, Will Davison, third on 1,974 points. He's 19 points behind Cam Waters and three points behind Will Davison. Uh, Anton Di Pasquale, 1,971. Also, those guys, because Will had such a, pretty, such a good weekend and Anton didn't, they swapped spots in the, uh, in the ladder. But what a cracking battle are we getting there now for second in the title? I mean, oh, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, second, third, three. and fourth is close. Yeah. Uh, so that could be very interesting. Chaz Mostert was in fifth, 1,794. Brock Feeney in sixth, 1,648. Dave Reynolds, 1,564 in seventh, eighth. Brody Kostecki, 1,389. James Courtney into the top 10 on 1,349. And Andre Heimgardner drops one spot. Um, he's 1,346 points. Only three points behind James Courtney. Teams. Red Bull Ampole Racing Team. 4,144 points. 199 points behind him is Shell DJR. But, yeah, the pain the pain for DJR over the weekend was that, you know, Will Davison got a pit lane penalty for the um, for the having the rattle gun on. Um, that cost a lot of points. And then, obviously, Anton in the final race. So, you know, that's that cost them a lot of points over the weekend. And they're the sort of thing you can't afford. Oh, man, that made me shudder. Not so much the wheel gun on the wheel. The guy who put his hand on the tire to stop it from spinning, I understood, as they dropped the car, like, holy mackerel. That's, uh, he could have crushed his hand on the tire. It yeah. was pretty bad. It's like finger-cutting te- ter- territory. Yeah, yeah I, know, I was thinking about that. Which we spoke about a few issues ago. Winton. <laughs> if you want to go back, go to the Winton uh, review and, and, and tell us about what happens to people's <laughs> fingers when they get them caught wheels. Anyway. Just going to fill up your fingers. Very scary. Who's running third, Nev? Sorry, I'll get back on track. Running third, Tickford, uh, Cam Waters and James Courtney, and they're 3,342. So uh, Red Bull, Ampole Racing, uh, as I said, 4,144. Shell V-Power, 3,945. Tickford, 3,342. 
603 points behind Red Bull. WAU, they jump up a spot. Well, basically, Penrite and WAU swap spots. WAU uh, Racing basically jump up into fourth, 2,856. And Penrite Racing rounding at the top five on 2,736 points. Clarky. Yeah, Nev. Dude, when are, we, uh, when are we on next? Well, we've got uh, Pukakoui. Um in, in, in September 10, I think. It's just me. I'm just having a look now, Nev. You, I knew you were going to ask that, so I got the calculator out. Sadly, Nev, the um, it's the final ever Pukekohe race there, so that's uh, a bit sad. Yes. It's a great track. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that, obviously, when we talk about Pukekohe. Is there anything planned? Oh. Apart from bringing out all the Kiwis and having a bit of a, like, woohoo, hey, Greg Murphy, we love you. Hey, Shane Bankersberg, we love you. Hey, let's bring over some IndyCar drivers as well. Love you, bro. Love you, bro. So it's September 12 when your head pops up off the pillow. We'll be, we'll be there in your inbox. Yeah, bro. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? No, bro. Bro, I'll catch you later. <laughs> I'll catch you later too. <laughs> see you, Clarky. See you, fans. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth from Grove Racing. Every time we hit the track, we rely on Gates premium parts to help us perform under extreme conditions. Serpentine cooling and timing systems are critical for your engine's performance. Inspecting and replacing all system components at the same time will ensure your vehicle is ready to tackle any challenge. Protect your ride with Gates. Available from Repco, Napa Auto Parts, Super Cheap and reputable auto stores.